The following program is sponsored by Wilson Financial Group and Mott and Associates, which is solely responsible for its content. Securities offered through J.W. Cole Financial Member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through J.W. Cole Advisors, Wilson Financial Group, and Mott and Associates. J.W. Cole Financial and J.W. Cole Advisors are unaffiliated entities. The opinions expressed by Jude Wilson and Mike Mott should not be construed as specific investment, legal, or tax advice. All economic and performance information is historical and not indicative of future results. Investing may involve the risk of loss of principal. Any tax advice on this show is not intended to be used by any person for the purpose of avoiding U.S. federal or state tax penalties that may be imposed on such person, and each listener should seek advice from their tax advisor or legal counsel on topics that arise from the show. Jude Wilson and Mike Mott are not providing legal or tax advice. Nothing should be construed as solicitation of an offer to buy securities. Any successful plan requires wisdom and preparation, and retirement is no different. It's time for the Plan Wise Retire Free Podcast. This is Plan Wise Retire Free with Jude Wilson and Mike Mott. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. Jude and Mike are holistic wealth managers at the newly merged company of Mott & Associates and Wilson Group Financial. They're serving us right here in the Florida area from their office in Orlando and Bradenton. Find them online if you'd like, and you'd like to share this podcast with friends and family who may benefit from some of the information we discuss at planwiseretirefreepodcast.com. That's planwiseretirefreepodcast.com. Of course, you can always give them a jingle the old-fashioned way. Share that number as well if you'd like, 800-779-4592. That's 800-779-4592. Well, Mike Jude, welcome into the podcast this week. How are you? Oh, doing awesome. Great to talk to you again. Having a great day. Thanks. Having a good day. That's always a good thing. So listen, I want to, since you, we got two of you here on the podcast, do you guys ever get into some debates back and forth? Maybe, you know, point counterpoint with your financial discussions, who's right, who's wrong, that kind of thing? I would say we had one this morning. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, but it was not who's right, who's wrong particularly, but we did have our financial planning meeting and we, we sat down with a couple of cases and really just went around the room and specifically said, okay, give me your answer mm-hmm. and be quiet. And then the other one, give their answer. And then once we got done, we debated the four answers gotcha. to come up with the best one. So All right. yeah, well, good. That quite often. Well, depending on who you ask, right, you can get very different answers to some of retirement planning's most important questions. So let's see where our opinions stand on some issues like insurance, mutual funds, annuities, things of that nature, and just kind of go through a few of these and see you know, where we fall on these, have a little debate about them, if we will. So what do you guys think? What's better, paying off the debt or building up the savings? Yes. <laughs> that How is a great that answer? answer. That is a great answer. That's like a teacher well, answer. There's a couple of pieces to this. I mean, first of all, when you think of paying off debt or building up savings, there's this friction here because one, you need an emergency fund. Yes. Without an emergency fund, then the debt continues to raise its head again and again and again. Now, paying off consumer debt is another critical thing to do. Mm -hmm. Paying high interest rates, you're sometimes living a lifestyle that you can't afford by racking up consumer debt. So paying that debt off is another critical item. But usually if I'm sitting here between debt and building up savings, if you don't have an emergency fund, I say we work on the emergency fund first. 
Once we've established an emergency fund, then we have to go off and start taking care of the consumer debt. You know, I would really like to debate Mike on this one, but unfortunately, <laughs> I agree with him. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Hey, that's why we're doing it, right? You know, my first job out of college, I was a banker. And one of the benefits that they offered us was getting a credit card. I never had a credit card before. And I come from a large family. At the time, I think I had 17 nieces and nephews. I'm wow. well above. Yeah. Well, I'm well above 50 nieces and nephews now. You're kidding. Um, exactly. You're kidding. So, Your Christmas list must be insane. Well, that's exactly what I'm getting to. <laughs> I decided I was going to do something. I was going to buy all my nieces and nephews a Christmas present that year. And I didn't have enough money, so I tapped into the credit card. And I really, even though I was a banker, I really didn't understand how quickly the minimum payment got you into trouble. So since then, I paid that credit card off. I never carry a debt. And I focused on building my my emergency saving. And that's what I would tell everybody is that you've got to start off, depending on how stable your job is, with anywhere from three months to a year worth of emergency saving. And it all, again, it depends on how stable your job is and how comfortable you are with having money sitting on the sidelines. Well, yeah, I would definitely agree with you guys for sure on that. And all I can imagine is Jude trying to back up to like Fort Knox with a truck saying, hey, I got to buy Christmas presents for my nieces and nephews. Can you guys do a few gold bars in there? I'd appreciate it. That's a lot of nieces and nephews, my friend. That is a lot. Well, I'm the cool uncle. Oh, well, that of course, you got to be, right? That's the only way to live, being the cool uncle. Well, let's get back to some of our debating here. How about this one, guys? We talked about the house a little bit on a previous podcast last week. Let's bring it back up again. Is it best to pay off? off the house as soon as possible, or to go ahead and keep that mortgage into retirement. How do you feel? You know, before the Taxpayer Relief Act went into effect, I would hear a lot of people say, well, we want to keep the mortgage because it's one of the few tax deductions we have left. But now with the new tax scenario that we're in, it's very hard to be able to be in a position to use that mortgage interest as a tool for tax planning. So from my standpoint, I would rather see the mortgage paid off if you're not going to have any benefit from it. That's where I stand. Well, and let me go a little bit further with that. Having a mortgage is okay, especially it's a fixed rate mortgage. Uh However, If you're just using that as an excuse to spend more money on your lifestyle, (laughs) then I really go back to paying off the mortgage as soon as possible. It can be a balance to say that, in fact, if I have plenty of time with a client, I will try to get them to have the target of having their mortgage paid off about the time they're ready to retire. Okay. So certainly, again, a lot of it's going to factor into each individual situation, but I guess there's not necessarily a right or wrong because it's going to break down to how it works out best for each person. But these are certainly some things to think about when you're talking about settling the debate of which way you should go on some of these topics that we tend to find a lot of times in the retirement planning process. This is Plan Wise Retire Free Podcast with Jude and Mike. And of course, if you'd like to give them a call or have a conversation with them, 800-779-4592 is a good way to get a hold of them. So guys, I'm going to hit you now with a couple of the just yes or no's. I mean, take it where you want to go, but some of these are going to be, I guess, either on or off. Should you buy term life insurance or permanent life insurance? How do you feel about that? Wow. (laughs) That's the eternal debate. You can probably get an argument on both sides of this real easy. 
One of the rules of thumb I do is, first of all, we have to determine how much life insurance do you have to have. And once you know what that amount is, then is, can you afford it? Mm -hmm. Early in your earnings career, you probably can't afford permanent life insurance, so you go for the term. Yep. However, if you make the mistake of not getting a long enough term and you go a number of years down the road and suddenly your health changes and you wish you could buy some more life insurance, some more term life insurance, but your term just ran out and now you're uninsurable, gosh, we should have gotten some permanent. Yep. So because permanent is a combination of savings and term basically all added together. So in many cases, I'll ask the client and say, is there a life insurance amount that you'd like to die with? And that sounds pretty brutal, but (laughs) how much do you want to have when you finally pass? And if there's a number there, I said, well, you know, that amount probably should be permanent life. And then we add term on top of it to get the amount of life insurance that you really need to cover in case you have an early death. This one topic could probably be a podcast all on its own. (laughs) Well, maybe we'll do that. I have seen, you remember the Hatfields and the McCoys? Yes, sir. I have seen financial advisors get into very rigorous debate about this topic. I'll just try to make it as quick and as concise as I can. Term insurance is like renting an apartment at some point in time, that lease. So that term is going to go up. And you've got to plan for that if you're going to go that direction. Permanent insurance is like buying your home. You're going to build up equity. It's going to be more expensive on occasion than renting an apartment. But if you use it in the right way and if you have the right cash flow, it may make sense for you to buy a permanent policy. But this is where you really need the expertise of a professional and someone that's looking out after your best interest to tell you what direction may be best for you. Yeah, and of course, you always want to make sure you're having those conversations with qualified professionals like Jude Wilson and Mike Mott here on the podcast. They are holistic wealth managers, and you can give them a jingle at 800-779-4592, or you can share this podcast with friends, family, people that you find may think that it's going to be helpful for them. So guys, I've took it easy on you, but now I'm going to hit you with the big guns for our last couple ones here. I'm going to keep it simple, just short and sweet. Are mutual funds good or bad? That, you know, that's Lo- a, loaded question. question. No, it's a lo- it, it really, you know, there are, yes. <laughs> I, hate to, I have to keep answering questions. I love like it that. when you yeah, do that. Though. They it's are great. good and bad. Mutual funds are in a wonderful, wonderful way to invest in an asset where you get a large amount of diversification for a small amount of money. Mutual funds are great because you hire a professional money manager to make the decisions on what to buy and sell. But mutual funds can be bad in that there can be extra expenses sometimes that you don't know about, fund expenses. Paying expenses aren't always bad, but sometimes you don't know how much exactly they are. The other reason that mutual funds sometimes can be bad is because they can have phantom capital gains, Ooh, meaning that's a good one. that you know the manager may have bought Apple 15 years ago at 40 bucks, but now the manager decides that it's not a good time to own Apple and it's now trading at seven or 800 bucks, so they sell it. Well, if you bought the mutual fund six months ago 
you're going to get a portion of that capital gain, which is a big one, that will be distributed out of the fund at the end of the year. You'll have reinvested those capital gains back into the mutual fund. But guess who has to pay the capital gains tax on that distribution that you didn't get? You got all of the pain and none of the pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun, does it? I've got to agree with Mike. You've got to see a professional to really understand your situation, what mutual funds may be right for you, and take into account all of the other considerations in your life, the tax bracket that you're in, what's your long-term and short-term goals. You can't just plain vanilla say, I'm going to invest in this mutual fund and I'm going to make a ton of money. Okay. So obviously, again, like everything we talk about here on the podcast, and I kind of set you guys up with this too, to kind of put you in this spot with these questions, but there's pros and cons to just about every aspect of every strategy that you could look at. And that's why it's always important to have that team on your side where you can talk about what's important to you. Because as one person's goals may be this way, some of the vehicles to use to get them there may be different than another person. So you always want to make sure that you again, are having these conversations, but I'm going to still set you up on this last question just because that's the way it's written. So we're going to roll with it. Are annuities good or bad? Dropping the A word here on the podcast. Well, you know, there are a ton of advisors that are advertising right now that are saying, I hate annuities and so should you, or there's been even books by popular financial advisors that you may see on some of the networks that say they hate annuities and they should never be used in any condition. That is the one thing I can tell you that's absolutely false. Again, when we're looking at making a recommendation, it's very much like going into a doctor's office. Recommendation before analysis is malpractice. And so when a client comes in and they say, you know what? I would love to give you my business. Just don't ever talk to me about annuities. We start asking questions. Why? What are you trying to accomplish and start digging and doing the analysis and then make the recommendation and educate people why this may work in this situation and why it may not work in your situation. I think the reason annuities have gotten a bad name is because there are folks out there that only sell annuities. And I like to use a term if all you got to hammer, everything looks like a nail. Amen. And annuities can be incredibly effective at doing a couple of things. One of them is if you set them up properly, they can create lifetime income that can never run out. Now that sounds fantastic, but basically the insurance companies know that when you use one of those strategies, that some of the people are going to die soon. The only they got their money back plus interest. Some of the people are going to live a normal lifespan. They know they're going to get their money back plus interest. But there's this other group. There's these people that live beyond a life expectancy. And the insurance company is going to take that risk and have to pay those people for the rest of their lives, even though they live to be 115. So annuities can create that kind of a lifetime income stream, which is very difficult to create with the level of guarantees in almost any other investment. But then on the other side, if you get an annuity and it's not designed for what you're trying to do, there are things like surrender charges and fees and all those things that are buried sometimes in there that if those don't fit your requirements, then they can be very destructive. 
Yeah. Looking at an annuity sometimes is like when you go online and you sign up for a new account on the internet and you see that terms of service that nobody reads, <laughs> <laughs> the annuity can be kind of like that because there's a ton of small print. And I would not, if I didn't have this training, I would not recommend venturing into this type of investment or any other without getting someone that truly understands it and has a fiduciary responsibility to act in your best interest. Well, I think that's a great point and bringing that up here at the end of the podcast, Jude, is working with someone who has you know your best interest at heart, being fiduciaries, which you guys are. There are a lot of people, as you guys mentioned out there, doing a lot of different things. And no one vehicle, I guess I'm going to say, is maybe you know good or bad. There's just going to be differences in how it works for you, but you always got to have those conversations with your qualified professional. And again, that's what Jude and Mike do. They're holistic wealth managers at Ma and Associates and Wilson Group Financial, the newly merged company of those two, serving us right here in the Florida area. And as we wrap up, I was thinking about the iTunes thing. I was going to say, please feel free to share this. Go to iTunes and check out the podcast. And then I started thinking about that terms of service that you just mentioned. And every time we have to update our iTunes, it's like this massive list of stuff that you never want to read. So you scroll down to the bottom and just say, okay. But don't do that with your financial vehicles, folks. Make sure that you're getting no, some, no, no. <laughs> some information from qualified professionals like Jude and Mike, 800-779-4592. And as we depart the podcast today, guys, Miss Helen in Bradenton's got a question for you. She says, fellas, is it okay to have several different IRAs or should I consolidate? FYI, I have seven of them. Holy smoke. Uh, <laughs> you know, I just love that question because it gives me a chance to say, are you serious? <laughs> um, to me, you know, managing investments is difficult enough because mm-hmm. you have to try to make sure there's diversification, there's all those accounts. Having seven accounts just seems to me to be a huge overkill. In today's world with self-directed IRAs, you can get all the flavors of what you're trying to get within one. Why would you want more than one? I can't even think of a scenario where it would make sense to have that many IRAs. So now I have heard people say, I have a 401k and an IRA. Should I keep my 401k? And there are several considerations that go into whether you should keep your 401k at your former employer. But if you've got a bunch of IRAs, it's time to consolidate. You may even be able to save yourself some money consolidating those IRAs. Yeah, the custodial fees. There's usually every IRA has a custodial fee, so you might be paying higher fees. The only time I would have an argument about having more than one IRA is if you're using maybe more than one IRA for different objectives. Oh, that makes sense. So maybe you want one that you might liquidate sooner rather than later. Back to our bucket plan. Yep. But other than that, I really don't see any reason why you would have so many accounts. Well, Helen, thank you so much for the email questions. Give the guys a jingle and talk about it more in depthly. 800-779-4592. And we thank you so much for joining us here on Plan Wise Retire Free Podcast, taking the time to have a plain talking deep dive into different strategies and options that hopefully can help strengthen your long-term retirement picture. We'll do it again in the future here on the podcast. Jude, Mike, thank you so much for being here, fellas. I hope you have a great week. You as well. You too. Thank you so much. You guys stay safe down there and enjoy your time, and we'll see you all again next time here on the podcast, Plan Wise, Retire Free with Jude Wilson and Mike Mott. The preceding program is sponsored by Jude Wilson and Mike Mott, which is solely responsible for its content.